Hey Bernie, welcome to the sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect. I'm Mommy Imperfect, also known as Rina Dipti Annabelle, and this is a podcast where each and every week I explore different aspects of womanhood with the help, of course, of my fierce and fabulous guests. So right now I'm broadcasting this episode live on YouTube on the Mommy Imperfect YouTube page. So you may of course be listening to it as an audio podcast whichever way you are consuming this content. Thanks for tuning in and stick with me because this is going to be a very interesting episode. I'm going to be talking about finding faith. How finding faith or rediscovering it can change your life. And people say that all the time, don't they? Like, oh, you know, it changed my life, but how does it change your life? You know, what are the challenges? Do you have to for instance find a whole new set of friends? Um does it affect how you what you look for in a partner? How do you bring your kids up in faith or let them discover it themselves? So there's so many questions which um I'm hoping that me and my guest can answer today. So I'm super excited to be joined by Mama Four Dula, co-founder of Seek Parenting. It's my good sis Narup Kaur. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really happy to be talking to talking to you again because you came on a while ago talking about something quite different. Uh your experience as a doula, childbirth, how to help women have a more confident and comfortable birth. So of course, if people want to listen to that, the episode is available on uh my uh just yeah podcast page on Podbean. Uh that's that was a really good episode. So it's good to have you back talking about something else. Um how have you been? I've been really good, thank you. I mean, um things have really progressed with my work as a doula. Mm-hmm. Um I had I took a leap of faith and decided to branch out and um now fully fledged doula, um supporting women um supporting different clients all the time and um it's really helped my own learning and my own connection with sisterhood actually because um and and supporting people in their journey as you know mothers so since that podcast there's been a lot of progression and and manifestation has really kind of taken its you know kind of really really pushed me and my boundaries so a lot's been happening and managing that with you know four kids one who now is diagnosed with ADHD so battling that and supporting her as much as possible um so there's, there's a lot going on but it's an amazing life you know so all the challenges that come with it just make it beautiful so mm. i'm i'm doing good and i'm glad to be here i'm really really glad to speak to you yeah same here i i mean you are doing a lot and it is a lot isn't it like as a mom um like you i just think you know what i'm stretched so much at 3 like you have 4 um that's salute i salute you because um i i think you know the more the merrier it's nice right it's drawn up and everything right but then it's yes. challenging as well yeah it comes with all, and and you're dealing with different age groups and the the challenges that come with the needs around what they need so the eldest one is going through adolescence and puberty and the hormones and all of that kind of stuff and so really needs us really needs us emotionally mm-hmm. but then there's the the our, our daughter who's got ADHD and really needs us in lots of different ways ways that we are still learning how to bring to the table mm-hmm. bring and and retrain and relearn for ourselves and then we've got the two little ones who really need us physically you know because mm-hmm. they are very young and they need us in that other kind of way so managing all of that can be it can be a challenge but my husband and i would never looked at it as it's really hard and you know you say oh you know i've got 304 you know for me i just say if you've got once you have one 
and everything else just fits into place. It doesn't really feel like any more. Um, I mean, I mean, your time does decrease, and then you and yeah. in that kind of way. But ultimately, if you can do it once, you can do it times over. So I salute all the mums out there, regardless of how many they've got, and and yourself. You, you're you know very busy lady. You have three children yourself. You're you know um, doing so much and offering so much to our sisters out there, um, and an open raw dialogue. That's a massive thing. Not just coming on here physically doing it, but also the thought process behind bringing all of that here. Who am I going to have? How is this conversation going to help other women out there? So. I salute you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That means a lot. So I'm going to talk a bit more about your kids and how you're bringing them up in in terms of in faith uh, in a little bit. But I want to know about you first. Like, obviously, you're a turban-wearing Sikh and uh, your faith is very important to you. You know, your Instagram handle is Sikh Mom. Um, You're co-founder of Sikh Parenting with your husband. So it's obviously really important to you, but I mean, you weren't obviously born with a, the sard on your head, were you? You were, and, and you, and you, you, I mean, just, just talk me through that journey, how you came to, to be as you are so into your faith. Well, first of all, can I just thank you for allowing me this space to, to talk about this? Because a lot of people do think I just kind of walked out of my mum's vagina wearing a turban and a kapan, <laughs> Um And that was not the case. Um, I come from a very, very liberal family. What I mean by liberal, because everybody's got their own interpretations, is my parents and my family all were, and still do now, they, they identify themselves as six. But um, growing up, we were not doing any of the steps that would determine that we are six. So, for example, in, in term, when, we, when we think about Guru Granth Sahib Ji telling us how we should live our lives, just like the Quran tells our Muslim brothers and sisters, the Bible tells our Christian brothers and sisters, um, my parents were not really following in that kind of way. And that's what I grew up with. And it's funny because I was talking to my sister about it on the weekend and I was saying, I associate my childhood with food, really good, rich food, music like Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan and, you know, like the most amazing like guzzle singers and, and just, and alcohol and just partying. And I don't regret none of that because I had the most amazing childhood. We had a massive family and that's how we used to come together. But when it came to faith, we weren't really taught about that. We, weren't, we, were, we went to the Gurdwara, the sixth place of worship, um, if there was an occasion. But that's kind of where faith ended. Um, and there was a few, I've been through quite a lot of trauma in my childhood. And because I didn't have faith, I didn't have anyone to turn to and I remember my mum when we um when I went through me my mum and my dad we went through a massive trauma when I was about 11 12 years old um and I will talk about that another time in my life um but um when it's right but what happened with that was um my mum used to pray loads that the situation would change and I used to remember saying what are you doing that for it's not going to make no difference because I never had no connection I didn't have an understanding of the spiritual life um, and she was turning to it because she didn't have anywhere else to go but that's kind of where it ended and um, when I turned around when I was you know kind of you know, before, during primary school the only thing I remember was my mum used to force us to go to Keaton class and my sister had a musical talent. She was so, she had such a, you know, angelic voice. And with me, I was just never practiced. 
the teacher was always like hitting me, you know, and telling me that I'm doing it wrong. And, um, but I picked it up anyway, it was really weird. And so then that's where it ended. And then when I, you know, kind of hit an age where I could go out and party, that was me because that's my personality. I'm just like a people person. I want to talk to people, clubbing, partying, smoking, drinking drugs, everything. That was my life. My hair was up to here. I've got extremely curly hair, like black, like a curly hair. So um, my hair was is, is very, very curly ringlets. And um, I used to wear it in all different styles. And then it got even, I say even worse, but this was just a part of my journey. It just it put, that the journey progressed because then I worked in the film industry after university. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a lot of cocaine and things like that. Just so you know, I never did any cocaine, but um, it was around me. But the, the funny thing was, it was when someone in my family very close to me died. And I thought to myself, what happens when we die? What happens afterwards? Is that it? Is that the end? And those questions really started to, you know, internally bubble up inside me. And I started to look at lots of different faiths and what their faiths were saying about death. Um, and just someone turned around to me and said, have you ever looked at your own faith? And what death says about your own faith? And I said, I haven't actually. Um, and so I started to you know, really, really kind of research a little bit and it really connected with me that, you know, we 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 don't just have one time to come back here and have a go um, at living life. We've got multiple chances. And I thought, wow, if a God like that exists that gives us the opportunity to come back and try again and again and again, I thought that, for me, thought, I just thought to myself that the idea of reincarnation was really powerful and I think that's where the journey actually really started, to be honest. And and it is those those traumatic times of grief where you do reach for something. You do feel that like, you know what is there for me to help me because you know I, I've lost I lost my uh, my Masi who was like one of the closest people that I've ever lost, and she was uh, like so close to us and twenty eight years old suddenly passed away, and and I was um, like in my late teens at the time, and I just remember thinking the same as you like what it, then where is she like she's not here one minute she's here the next minute she's not here where is she and that's where like I, I I think that if I was kind of more into a faith I would have it would have helped me but it, that you know you just feel so bewildered at that time mm-hmm. and I remember just mm-hmm. as a somebody in my late teens just feeling so bewildered like how can she stop being where is she I find you know it was like it blew my mind and I, I couldn't cope with that thought you know yeah yeah and and so it was for me it, I think that I do think that faith uh, gives you a bit of an, uh, gives you a comfort in understanding these kind of, you know, momentous times in our lives. And I think, uh, you know, we will talk about our children later, but for me, I've just, because I've had quite a lot of death in my family in the last, you know, year, uh, like, you know, multiple and, and kind of next to each other, very close people in the family. And it's been amazing how I've been able to talk to my children about that. And I think I, I was thinking, saying to my husband, I never had that. I never had an understanding of what was going on. And all I kept on hearing in the Gurdwara was they were saying, you know, now he's gone, now he's gone, you know, he's gone back to God and things like that. But the person that had died, it was my judge, and he, he wasn't, he was a lovely person, but he was an alcoholic and, and through his alcoholism had done a lot of bad things. And I was thinking to myself, how, how could he have gone, how could he have gone back to God how or heaven or whatever I was thinking at the time if he'd done all these bad things? Does that mean that, you know, anyone could do anything? So that's where it all started to kind of conjure up for me. Um, 
but it wasn't when I say conjure up I mean it was kind of very very slow process um, it was just me kind of doing my own research not really talking to anybody and and then when I was in university which this was the time I was in the university and the university said right it's your final year you need to do a dissertation now and I thought because I've been learning so much about death and my faith I thought I want to do something on my faith and I, ha I, was, I did a film degree for my degree so, so um, I thought for my movie I'm going to make a documentary about something really interesting to do with my faith and I decided to do it on Maharaja Dalip Singh who was the last um, king of Punjab um, and I said to my mum and dad I'm going to book a ticket I'm going to um, because I've done so badly in my degree because of his death and my grieving I'm going to really go all out I'm going to book a um, ticket and I'm going to go to Pakistan and I'm going to film where he lived everything about him I'm going to go and film film the people what's left I'm going to research and my mum and dad were like there's no way we're letting you go to India and Pakistan by yourself we'll come with you and they booked it and we went and we arrived in Delhi and my Masi lives in Delhi, so we always go and stay with her. And with there's like a tradition, when we get to Delhi, the first or the second day, we always go to the main Gurdwara in Delhi. Is that the um, one in uh, Chandani Chok? Is it that one? Yeah. Sea yeah. Sponge. Is that Yeah, Sea Sponge. I've been Yeah, love it. Yeah. And um, I didn't know at the time where we were going. I just remembered that we go to these Gurdwara because I hadn't been back to India for a really long time. And so um, we arrived on the second day and... All I can say is I walked in to see Skanj Gurdara one person and I walked out another person. What happened to me in there was a divine experience. Um, I saw things and experienced things that um, just made me completely 180 on my entire life, my habits, my thoughts, my tastes, my senses. Everything changed in that moment. Um, everything I wanted for my life changed. Everything. Um, I was very consumed by the way I looked. I, like I said, I was really, you know, focused on working in the film industry and making films and the type of films I wanted to make and everything. Everything changed in that moment. My mum and dad didn't know what was happening to me. My mum was, you know, having a panic attack. And my, I think my dad, we still haven't talked about it. Can you believe that to this day, my dad? But my, I, I know when I, I just look at my dad, I know that he knew I was having a spiritual experience and that I shouldn't... Yeah, what what actually happened to you in there though? You know, um, I don't think I don't feel so sharing it. Sharing the complete experience is um, a really personal thing, mm. and it's um, uh, it's like when you experience God, um, and everybody experiences God in a different way. My husband had a similar experience, but his was different way but it's basically you meet God in that moment and you know you know you have a conversation and then that's it everything's over and so for for me I just feel like um I I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't feel like it's fair on my my own spiritual self to share it with a wider audience um I have shared it before in a kind of like a smaller space but what happened was deeply profound but then there's all these things that happen afterwards did that really happen was that all in my head hang on you know all of these kinds of things but then you realize hang on I used to 
really be attuned to this type of music and now I can't even stand it. It's like doing something, it's hurting my soul now. What, my taste buds don't enjoy this food anymore. I need to change the way I'm eating. Um, I don't like swear, I used to swear so much. I couldn't even swear afterwards because it felt impolite and not sweet. And it felt like I'm, every time I look at a human being, I'm looking at God. And if I swear at somebody or in the presence of that person, then I'm doing that in the presence of God because God resides in all. So everything changed in that moment. All we, in, in Gurbani, they call it Indriya, which is our senses. All my senses changed, everything. Um, and it was, it was a massive um, toll on my parents. My, uh, my dad was very quite passive about it. My mum was not happy at all. Because um, over time, what happened was I was just not the person that I was before. And, you know, you talked about in the intro about having new friends and kind of realising who really supports you and who doesn't and who unconditionally loves you. And going through all of that was a massive battle. Um, but that's, this is, this. and, you know, people also thinking that you're going through a phase, you know, yeah. and not trusting what you're feeling and what you're going through. So it was... It was a massive change. I didn't know that anything like that could ever happen to me before. Um, because and, and, and also, because of the person that I was, the industry that I worked in, the personality that I have, I was always the life of the party. I was the one always holding the parties. You know, um, the way I was dressed, the, the circles I kept, people couldn't believe it. They just couldn't believe it. So it, it was a massive shift for a lot of people. I feel bad for them, you know, because... Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, because it is like, oh, what happened to you? You know, uh, that's quite a change. And and I mean, two things here, like, you know, you, you kind of think if you're from a Sikh family and I'm saying Sikh in terms of, you know, you're born into the faith and it, I mean, I guess it's more about the Punjabi culture, but then you have that faith as well, right? You know, if yeah. you're born into a family like that, people think, oh, it can only be a good thing if somebody embraces a religion and everyone's going to be so happy and celebrate it. And you're saying that it wasn't and it was quite hard. And I have heard this from other people that I know as well where one member of the family starts quoting Gurbani or like you know if they make friends with somebody who is uh, Amritari and they're not and the parents are like oh my gosh you know don't get too close to them and and it's a you know quite wary of it which yeah. I find quite surprising yeah yeah I mean my it was funny because I, I used to say to my mum when we would have these battles um, in the early stages I used to say you didn't mind when I was going out and you know smoking drinking drugs you know all of, I was coming home high and all of these things were happening but now you have an issue that I want to go to the Kultura and do seva or listen to a Gita all night you know what, what's going on here and and you know um someone I don't even know who it was but I don't know again this was you know I really believe God God is not God is omnipresent but God appears in moments and I don't know who this person was, but I believe that that God had appeared in that moment to say, it's your responsibility to support the people around you to understand what's going on. And I remember getting to a point and sitting down with my mum and dad and saying, look, things aren't going to change. This is who I am. And I, I want to help you understand there's an internal change happening inside me. All you can see is the external change. Um which is like, you know, that I'm growing my facial hair, I'm not doing my eyebrows anymore, I'm not doing, you know, all the, the way I'm dressing is a bit more modest, and I want, you know, I wasn't wearing a turban at the time, but, you know, I was wearing a jimny and things like that, and I need you to ask me questions, I need you to use your curiosity 
to ask me what's going on with me as opposed to just making assumptions and thinking I'm going to become something like a preacher or something like that. Um, that was a real game changer. My mum is not the best person at doing that. She's very kind of like stuck in her ways. But I do think that she tried her best to try and understand. Um, and so in, in so what the compromise was that when I wanted to go to certain places, when I wanted to do certain things, she would come with me to try and understand. Mm -hmm. So she tried to do that. But then she struggled to be in the Gurdwara that much. She struggled to sit for that long, to understand the Gitan. She, it felt good to her, but there was an expiry date on it for her. Mm. Whereas for me, I could sit there and just be in meditation for hours and hours. And she struggled with that a lot. So, And she later on in life, like after I got married, she said to my husband, I used to feel like, and it sounds quite crude, but I understand what she was trying to say. But she said, it felt like I was she was a dog on a lead. And I was her owner holding the lead, but the dog had the control. And I was just literally being pushed by the dog and holding the lead. But she was just taking me and I couldn't keep up. That's how she described it to my husband. And it really, I really have so much gratitude for her sharing that because it made me understand how hard it must have been for her because she felt she was losing me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as as a mom myself and obviously your mom as well, I, I do get that, that, that yeah. fear of, oh my gosh, you know, I've known this person all their lives and... Who are they becoming? Are they still going to be the same daughter? Yeah. I can get it. Yeah. I can understand it. But, you know, when we talk about, you know, um, people say to me, like, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're born a Sikh. And I always say, no, actually, I converted to Sikhi. You know, I always say that to people. Mm. Because I think I was born into a Sikh family, but it was it was just a word for me. And I think that the way we need to think about it is if your parents are dentists, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a dentist. You know, you have to go to school, you have to learn, you have to take the exams, you have to prepare, you have to practice every day, you need to stay in tune with it all the time. And I think that when we have this kind of thinking, I do think that, and I'm, and I'm not saying this in a way that everyone should become Amradari. I, I, and we talk about this a lot in Sikh parenting. You don't have to be, Amradari, Living a life of being an Amradari is not for everybody. I know that. I've learned that myself. Where, so, so what I try to, how I try to make people understand is that, you know, all you need to do is just have a consciousness that I'm making a choice not to do bad, not to go to the Gurdwara, not to follow certain things. And in that consciousness, things awaken positive things even if it's something negative something like I'm going to cut my I cut my hair I make a conscious choice to cut my hair positive comes from that as well because you know I think that everybody has something to offer everyone has something to offer to the sick faith um and it's where we kind of think oh well you know what I cut my hair so I can't really be involved or I can't really say anything or I'm you know everybody has something and I think that it's when we open those doors up and realize actually I am somebody I am you know I'm a reflection of my guru then things can really change um I didn't have that understanding I've had to come to that understanding myself um, and especially through supporting people who are coming into their faith or want to teach their children about their faith a lot of mums say to me, a lot of mums say to me, I don't have the right to go. I have this big thing where I try to campaign for mums to go into schools and talk about Sikhi, especially if their child is one of the only children in, in the school who's a Sikh. And a lot of the mums say, I don't have the right to do that because of the way I live my life. And I'm like, 
you absolutely do because if you're not going to do it who else is going to do it someone else will be mm. you know paving the way for what our narrative should be um as six and that's not how it should be you know so yeah there's we've still got a long way to go as you know as a community but i think supporting each other and being open to one another is the key mm. yeah you know so when you when you totally like change your lifestyle and uh, like found your religion and wanted to follow it and then you told me how you were before and then how you became did, did you then just drop a whole load of friends did you have to find a new community okay the funny thing about it was i had i've always been a very sociable person so i've always i have lots of different friends in lots of different areas of my life so there was my work friends who I used to, we used to go out drinking, we used to be, because we all worked in the film industry, we used to be at the latest club openings in Soho, we used to be at the latest restaurant openings, premieres, because obviously we're in the film industry, so we would used to get like tickets. So that's the kind of lifestyle we used to live. Um, at home, I had all my cousins, you know, you're, we were raised with our cousins, you know, because we all came over together and we were born together and we were raised together. And that, you know, we did all the things that our parents aren't meant to know that we did together with your cousins. So I had that and they were really close with me as well. And that was amazing. And then, you know, I had, you know, other kind of group of friends in other clubs and things that I was involved in. And out of everybody who stand, stood by me, it was my white friends. It was my white friends because they said to me, um, so there's my university friends, there was my work friends, and then there was like before I used to have a, I used to work in a gym, so I still had contact with those group of friends, and they were all kind of white black, um, and they used to say this line that my husband said, same thing happened to him when I met him, but they used to say if if you're happy, we're happy, tell us what we can do to support you, whereas my family and my cousins and those people in my life were like this is wrong, this is unacceptable, it was, and I think this is a jumpy mentality, they weren't thinking about what my needs were, they were thinking about how me changing was going to affect them, mm. which is a very selfish attitude, and that is, but it's also very jumpy, I yeah. believe, and, and that's, a, people will say, that's a really big generalisation, it's the truth, because we we are very we've become as a community we're one of the richest communities in the UK we you know we're very well established here and with that has come a lot of ego so yeah. we have we have that mentality that you know what about me how is this going to affect me we don't think about you know actually that person's really happy what can I do to support them and, and they didn't do that and I remember my cousin she had her she was this was going to be the first event where I had changed I was now wearing a butka so I'd progressed from not cutting my hair wearing a jimni and now wearing a butka um to going to basically she was going to have a massive wedding massive in a banquet hall there was going to be lots of things happening there and when I say um I couldn't even like I felt sick being in that environment. It was almost like it was hurting my soul. Like I could feel like pain in my body. It was that the environment there was was really, really affecting the internal and the external myself. So I went to meet with her beforehand and said to her, look, I'm gonna to come to your Godfather wedding and I'm gonna be there at the house in the morning and I'm gonna do anything you want me to do, but I cannot be at your reception. I cannot be at your reception. And I remember sitting there for three hours trying to convince her why it was really important for me not to be there, but I still love you and will 
be there for you for the rest of your life. I'm just not going to be there for those three hours of your wedding reception. But she couldn't accept it. And um, I kind of, I feel like our relationship has still never been the same. And if she's watching this, she knows how much I love her. But it's really made to shift then. Because she felt I wasn't there for her. And I felt that she wasn't there for me. I think for me, over time, I have accepted that, that you know, that's... It, it wasn't her fault it's just the way she you know people are raised and you know she wanted all certain people there and I couldn't do that for her but for her it was more about why should your faith stop you from being in certain environments and I couldn't articulate to her no matter how much I tried how it was affecting my soul um, and my kind of spiritual progression at that time because it was such a, a fragile time for me um, so those relationships, I have lost them. I still have those people in my life and I love them to bits and I'm there for them when they need me. But it's not like before. Whereas people like Joe and, you know, people from my, you know, my workplace and things like that, we are still in contact now and I've moved industries. I haven't worked with them for nearly, you know, 12 years, but still we have such a strong relationship. Um, and it's and I went to dinner with Joe, one of my friends quite recently, and I remember saying to her, I don't know if I've ever said this to you, but I have so much gratitude for our friendship. And she was like, oh, you know, what, Nav, why are you saying that for? And I said, because when I really needed friends, you were there for me. You didn't care what I looked like. You guys always were looking for places where I could eat something, where it wasn't just an alcohol fest that we were having for the evening. We were thinking of other things that we could do to accommodate me. And something that I've never forgotten and that's why my kids know you and that's why we still have a relationship and I hope I can always reciprocate that same love and respect for you um, and it was a really important moment because I actually had never said that to her and so she never knew what that meant to her. Mm. That is really beautiful friendship that is because it, it is changing a lot like you know like the things that you do, because in this country, that is the normal way that people socialise, really. Let's have a few drinks. Oh, we're celebrating a few drinks. Oh, we're sad, a few drinks, right? Yes, it, it's yeah, part of yeah. it. Go to the pub, go to bars and stuff. So I, I just think that that's such a beautiful thing to kind of, you know, find ways that you could be comfortable. And and more people should do that for their friends and family. Yeah. That yeah, is a really I nice mean, and, you know, I think that I think things are changing and I think people do have more of an understanding that we do need to adapt, um, you know, kind of the way we are socialising and, and things like that and the damage, especially that it's doing to our um, community and things like that. But ultimately, the effect is having on our children and things like that. But also, um, I realised um, the, the the trauma I had gone through with my judge who had died and the alcoholism and what I got experienced with that, I think that just kind of, I went through a phase where I hated alcohol and it, I, I can see how it didn't make me a very good person because it probably came across as very judgmental to other people that didn't drink. Were you preaching? Were you preachy about it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I didn't, again, articulate very well that actually, or actually I think I didn't understand that this is not about faith. This is about childhood trauma. Mm. I've experienced the worst of the worst of alcoholism um, in someone really close to me and then watched them die in front of me as a result of it. And actually, my hatred for it was because of that. Mm. It wasn't because of my faith, but because the two came in sync, my faith was, you know, was turning. Yeah. And then 
I started to move away from that. People just assumed it was that. And then I didn't support, I didn't help that situation either because I didn't realize myself what was going on. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think, you know, one thing I wanted to say is that, you know, when you find your faith, it's like a pendulum. The pendulum kind of stops about up here and you become very, and it takes time for the pendulum to kind of settle and come into balance. And I think for me, and you can alienate a lot of people in those moments because you do become preachy, you do become, you know, you know, you become maybe too rigid in, in your the way you are and it does alienate people and I think it's taken me and my husband a long time to find that balance for ourselves for our children where we are comfortable we're not worried about what other people think whether it's in the Amradari community or the non-Amradari community and being on a platform like Sikh Mum, Sikh Dad and Sikh Parenting we feel like we've really found like a good balance that works for us um, so you know and, and, and works for our children as well because I've seen a lot happen in terms of, you know, people raising their children in faith and the damage that it can do sometimes um, when there isn't balance. And so for us, you know, the rest is up to God, really. But um, we're just trying our best to bring that balance. Yeah. And I I think it's important to mention here, like, I I don't want to concentrate on too much, but Punjabi culture and that whole separating that from Sikhism, because people always think Punjabis like you said you know and 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 then they kind of like people that are like you know what I'm I'm sick and and I'm really like into my faith and stuff and yet they're like but I'm a jut or I'm this or they refer to themselves as a caste and then it's like is this your faith is it culture you know what I mean it kind of like I think they seep into each other and this whole you describe your childhood partying alcohol this that I would I'm Punjabi and I associate completely with that growing up in that way you know that is the culture right even this whole showing off thing. We, we do our houses up nicely. We like to show we have nice cars as Punjabis. All this kind of stuff, right? And it, you know, to separate, I think people in their own heads need to get that right as well. And people, and even people I find who say, we're really religious, um, but we, we, we're jart or with this or with that, you know. Yes. I, yeah. I, I just, I'm so glad that you've just touched on that. And I will just say one thing to anyone who's listening out there. Been, Punjabism and Sikhi are two very separate things. And the way, the best way, and you may feel offended by that, but the way you need to think about it is there are Muslims who are Punjabi. Mm -hmm. Okay? There are Hindus that are Punjabi. There are even Christians who are Punjabi. Because Punjabism is very different from a faith. Yeah, because it's it's a place that you can live and there's a language you speak and a type of food that you eat and a kind of clothes that you wear. That's very different from Sikhi, which is what Guruji bought us. And when we talk about um, the funny thing is I was talking to some of my Gordo friends the other day about um, when Gurbrit and I wanted to get married because we are different castes. When we Gurbrit and I remember when we, we took um, when we received Umrad, we said to each other, our caste is Khalsa. And that's it. We're never going to talk about it again. And people in our families used to kind of make jokes and things like that. But even the jokes we didn't like because we felt that the jokes still meant that it was in their psyche. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, so um, the way I like to explain it, and this is what I wanted to explain to um, your viewers is, or your listeners is, the person that owned the land back in Punjab doesn't own the land here anymore. They're working in Asda. The person who was cleaning the toilets and people were calling them Jamar back in Punjab, now they're multimillionaires here. 
okay? So tell me where's your casters now? Because caste was based, was a, was a Hindu tradition that was brought into Sikhi, which was based on occupation. If our occupations have changed as, in, as we've moved into the diaspora, how can we still look at caste? And, you know, this high-low kind of, you know, class system doesn't work in Sikhi. In, and, and the funny thing is the majority of people, Benji, who took who received Amrit in 1699 in Amrit, um, sorry, in um, Anandpur Sahib at Vasaki, majority of them all were low caste. Mm. They were low caste people. And, and Guru Sahib's just at that moment just demolished that whole thing, that system. So that's, that's one big step someone could take where they could try and change their psyche and mindset around having an understanding of caste. And the other thing is, my sister's married to a border. Where's caste there? Yeah. You know, I was not allowed to marry my husband. Well, I was allowed, but my husband wasn't allowed to marry me because I was a low caste, he was a high caste. But my sister was allowed to marry a gorda. Where's caste gone now? Yeah. You know, it's so, it's there's so many contradictions in all of this. So just a little tidbit mm. there. And you know, you were saying about uh, Punjabi culture and how we are different religions and and. I'm actually from a community where it's like there's been a lot like there's a lot of different religions so we're you know caste if you like or community but there's people who are I've got a lot of Christian cousins Punjabi Christians and they're very Punjabi and very Christian you know I've got Sikh cousins uh Hindu Punjabi and and it's like you I've so I've been brought up with so many different religion, religions around me going to the church going Gurdwara going Mandir so and and it's nice in a way because it's like you get to see all these different things. You get to know how different people worship. You feel a part of it. But then in a way, I was quite envious of people who had just one religion. You know, we are Sikh or we are Hindu or, you know, we are Muslim or Christian. And it's like, this is our way of life. And it, it was like, oh, you know, they they know exactly what they're doing. And this is their way of life because it can be contradictory, all these religions, you know. And I mean, yeah. I, I try to ignore that a bit myself, but, but they can, you know, they can be essentially there's a lot of the same kind of uh, uh, messages in those religions. And, you know, it's, it's all about love and peace and, and um, that kind of thing. But I, I honestly, I have been like, oh, you know, even even mm. as even um, I used to live in Tower Hamlets um, until recently. And there's a lot of uh, Muslim, like big uh, Bengali Muslim community and, you know, hanging around with with uh, friends who were. Uh, fasting or whatever you know you do feel like you know what it's such a strong community and you it's your way of life and you know exactly what you're going to do when and it's all kind of there it's dictated to you by your religion but you don't you know everybody's kind of doing the same thing and you really feel like there's something there which is kind of like a well it's a community isn't it yeah yeah and you know what it is it's like a collective energy as well yes so it's like, um, and the power and the sheer force of that is just, it's, it's kind of like um, enigmatic. So basically, like, um, I kind of understand what you're, where you're coming from, because in, and I've seen it in my own family, like um, my husband and I, are, and, and then the, I've got another cousin, an older cousin, we're the only ones who have married in somebody of the same faith. And same community everybody else my cousins they've either married um someone from the black community um afro-caribbean or you know the you know english community and um they're all happy and, and that's great but one thing they've all shared with me is that the children sometimes get confused because when we take them to the gurdwara 
they're being told about that you know the, the screens are talking about being reincarnated and being a fish and da, 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 da. but then when they're going to church the church is saying no you you know basically this is your one chance you go you go to heaven or you go to hell and then it's done kind of thing and so they've always said that we've, we've kind of struggled with that um and in the Sikh in the Sikh parenting community we have a, a benji in there and she's um she's a canadian in a uh, canadian white caucasian and she was married to a punjabi sick mm-hmm. very punjabi community and she made the decision that she was going to marry um she was going to raise both her children as six because she felt that the the connection was it, she connected with the faith first of all herself um but also she said that the, the sense of community was m- much more present than in the in the kind of like christian community for her and also she felt that she didn't want to confuse her children so that was a decision that she made and and but i have seen other parents and they do try to balance the two um and my sister how she does it is she when she comes to see us on the weekends she's always saying to me throw all the sikki at them as you can throw all the sikki as, as much as you can because her kids go to catholic school um not by choice just because it was a really good school that's all um but like for example they came down on the weekend and it was you know halloween yesterday and she said to me um they're coming down for halloween and i said oh okay we're going to be doing pumpkin carving we do it every year so i said i'm just going to get them extra cut pumpkins and we'll do it and then um, my niece said something like why are we doing this for and I said we're we doing it for Halloween don't you celebrate Halloween she goes no we're not allowed to celebrate Halloween and I said why not and she said because um I go to a catholic school and we don't celebrate the dead and de- the devil and so then I was then saying to her but you know what um you know christians believe that you know uh, this and da 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 and blah 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 but in sikhi we don't believe in a hell we believe we make our own hell and can you imagine that our own choices make a hell or make a heaven and you can have that right now and you know she was so interested in that so my sister was saying to me it's so good that she has this kind of two you know she's getting this exposure to two things and then one day she'll make her own decision where she wants to go um so and and having that attitude is very good for her and my sister as well because i think that doesn't stress my sister out and thinking oh my god am i what am i doing to her i'm just exposing her to two and then she can just basically just do whatever she wants yeah that's so nice i need to send my kids to your house i'm telling you <laughs> they're coming over sis i tell you <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just talk about you and your husband and just the how important it was for you to marry someone who was was he Amritdari at the time or going to be or did you take it together like what, how did that all work out I'm going to tell you the story really quickly but basically if I can because I don't have a habit of doing that but um what happened was um when my mom and dad came over to this country um my dad worked as an engineer in an engineering firm for about 14 years there was only one other punjabi that worked in that engineering firm he was a monna like so he someone who had cut hair and um uh they worked together for about 14 years and then the place the place shut down thatcher came into power and she shut all of the industry down in the, in, in london and moved it all to the midlands and things like that so um they my dad went and worked on the building site with his brother and and uh, and the other guy went off and when as i was growing up um 
I went to college and I didn't, didn't do very well, so I went to a different college which was really far away and then there was, some, I never hung around with the Punjabis because they were always drinking and things like that and like I said, I was exposed to so much bad stuff with drinking. I, I used to look down on them, I used to think these Punjabis, all they do is drink all day, don't go to classes. I was hanging around with all the Gauri and the Gali and I always have connected with more, um, you know, African and, and Afro-Caribbean community because just the type of music I'm into and, and all that kind of stuff. So I used to hang around with um, that community and they used to look down on me and think, oh, she thinks she's too good for us. So she hangs around with like the Gali and things like that. Um, but I didn't really care. Um, I was enjoying my college life and, and I was the only one, by the way, when it came to results day, who wasn't crying like they were trying to get into um, university. So I knew that I had done a good thing by staying away from that. And um, there was one particular person I remember and he was um, just so stuck up and just so annoying and he had all of this like shaved hair at the back and he had like all these patterns in his hair and his goatee and just typical Punjabi and we couldn't stand each other even though we never spoke to each other but the energy was just like we couldn't stand each other um, and then when I went to when I went to Punjab and I had this, when I went to Delhi and I had this experience mm. and I came back, I remember speaking, feeling very lonely because my mum and dad didn't understand me, my sister didn't understand me, I didn't have my cousins around me, I didn't have any support, I didn't know what was going on with me as well, like I, all this change was happening, all these feelings and... Um, and I remember speaking to a, my, my sister-in-law who lives in Canada who does wear at the start and she said to me, just do a das to Guruji, just do a supplication, a prayer from your heart and say to Guruji, send me someone who's going to support me on this journey and is going to basically be my Sangat, is going to be somebody who's going to help me on this journey. And so I did that, it was a Friday night and um, I did that. And then on, on the Saturday morning, my best friend, she phoned me up and she said, oh, there's another Gita happening. Um, at the Gurdwara, should we go? And I said, okay. And my best friend, she was coming into Sikhi kind of a little bit as well. So she said, let's go. So we went. And I remember sitting in the Barsa, um, so in the, the court of um, Guru Granth Sahib Ji, and the five Banjabiyade came, so the five beloved ones came down, ready to take the procession out. And I saw this scene, and I recognised him from somewhere. And I couldn't, and my, I couldn't take my eyes on him, off him. It wasn't in a lustful or attractive. It wasn't anything like. Um, it wasn't in that kind of a way. It was just kind of like, I know that person. That person has not always looked like this, but now this, which means that this person must have been through what I'm going through now. Maybe they can help me. Uh, but I don't know. Where, I couldn't remember where I'd known this person from. It was just, so the whole of the Nagarkeet then happened. So we went through all the streets. Um, as a community and then we ended up at the Gurdwara and I thought by the end of the Nugget Youth I'm going to find him and talk to him but he's going to be the one who's going to help me he's going to be able to answer my questions um, and I couldn't find him anywhere and so I looked everywhere couldn't find him and there's Gutka going on and there's Langar going on and I just couldn't find him in all of the kerfuffle so I phoned my sister I said can you come and pick me up I'm sitting on the steps of the Gurdwara she said okay so I was sitting on the steps and I was just going through my phone or whatever and those days it was analog phones no smartphones so I was just kind of going through I don't even know what I was going through and um and then all of a sudden I just felt this energy because I was looking down past me on the steps and I just looked up and it was him and I just grabbed his arm and he pushed his arm away like this and I said oh you don't know me but I think I know you and he was like Okay. And I said, like, I, I think you might not recognize me. I used to have hair here. And I think maybe we know each other from somewhere. And he just said, Orpington College. And I said, yeah, I went to Orpington College. 
And I said, I think you didn't look like that then. And he said, no, I didn't. And I said, which means you're going, you've been through what I'm going through. And I just burst out crying. I said, I'm so lonely. So much stuff has happened to me. I don't know who to talk to. I just want to listen to Keith and all the time. A lot of people don't want to talk to me anymore because they think I'm weird. You know, I really need some help. And I said, can, I, can we exchange numbers? So, you, you know, if I've got any questions. And he said, that's not really appropriate, you know, for a girl and a boy to really kind of have that you know, intimacy, you know, and stuff like that. And so, and I said, oh, okay, okay, I was a bit like, but I'll, well, let's do it over email. And I was like, okay, so he said, give me your email. So I gave him my email. And in those days, it was MSN. Do you remember yeah. MSN? And um, I went home that night and I just waited on my MSN to get that invite. And because I had all these questions, because I'd been writing all this stuff down about, you know, so I was thinking, oh, am I going to get, get all my questions answered? Didn't get anything. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, nothing. The following weekend, there was an event happening at the Gordara, and I said to my mum, can you, can you take me? I would really want to go. So I went, and at the end of the, uh, like, Sukhasin, when we, everything was closing up, um, I had a tap on my shoulder, and it was him, and he said, no, hello, no, nothing, so moody. He just turned around and just said, gave me the wrong email address. It was someone in Oslo. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Can I check it? And he checked on his phone. And basically, I had given the wrong email address. It was another Punjabi, but it was, <laughs> but it was someone in Oslo. And I said, oh, I've left a three out. And then that night, I got um, uh, an invite on MSN. And that was um, around Vasaki, April um, 2007. And then literally um, from April 2007 to July 2007 every single day we talked on email I would send an email what does Guruji say about this what does Guruji say about that what? and then he would go away and he would research it and come back and tell me then he would start to give me little things like learn this story about Guru Nanak you know learn this Shabbat he started doing all this kind of stuff and over time the relationship started to change we never met up or anything like that but the relationship started to change and a kind of love grew out of nowhere and we felt that the best thing to do was before we acted upon anything we go back to the Panjabiari. I hadn't gone to the Panjabiari yet, I hadn't received Amrit but he knew that that was my priority to receive Amrit. So when we went, when I went to the Panjabiari he went as well and because he was already Amritari he had to go in and he had to say why he's come back and he said I think I've got feelings for somebody um, it's happened outside of our parents, we haven't done anything but we'd like your advice and the Panjabiari just said you have to get married marry her she's the person for you and it turns out that he was the boy from college and the funny thing the about shaved it head, was, funny patterns in the head shape that guy yeah yeah i was hoping guy. you were gonna say that because i love a good but love the, story but the the funniest thing about the whole thing was when i went to meet my father-in-law and my dad met my father-in-law it was it was the guy Work for who he used to work with as an engineer when he first came to this country. They worked together for 14 years. They knew each other quite intimately. And, yeah, and they reconnected, and now they're gurus. So, you know, we were together last night as well, uh, doing a bonfire. So, and it was absolutely amazing um, that we connected in that way. And, it, and then when we kind of got married, we realised, oh, my God, we used to go to the same gym. We used to see each other there. And, you know, we, all these, our lives were completely connected. It was, we were connected in so many different ways. You know, there were so many places that we had been at the same time and things like that, where God had kept us parallel all the time because they knew we were eventually going to come together. And it is, 
you know, you know, say I love a good love story. It is like he's absolutely the complete and utter love of my life. Like if I will be content endlessly and infinitively if I know that he's he's going to be the, that soul is going to be with my soul in all the lifetimes because it's it's something so deep and spiritual. We never talked about anything worldly ever. We only ever talked about the love for God. And I remember, and I still have the MSN, um, you know, the, the, the printout of the conversation when he said to me, the first time he basically we revealed that there was feeling, he said something like, there's no better relationship than a relationship that, that, that's built on a foundation and love for God. Because we will always turn to the same thing and the spiritual level that you know we have and things like that and connection. So, and it has been like that. And you know, we have been near divorce and we have had really, really a lot of ups and downs. But our faith has always been that anchor between us, always. So I didn't go out thinking I'm going to marry someone who's Amritari. Mm. You know, I had an idea. I was actually dating people when I met him from Charlie.com. Were, um, were they were that. they um, also Sikhs? Yes, but they weren't, and, and that was the reason why I couldn't connect with them. They were Sikhs, but they were all Punjabi Sikhs. Loved uh, like a good party. Right. No, I, I felt, I'm not. I'm, this is a generalization, and this is not what everybody's like. I know that, but a lot of them were kind of like not very reflective people, and I had become extremely reflective person. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were just like you know, yeah, like like a like party, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to have a big wedding like this, and you know, that's that's how they were, and and it didn't really kind of connect yeah. with me. I wanted something so deep and so spiritual, and I didn't realize it was happening all along, you know, but. I'm yeah, so happy amazing. that you got that. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And do you find that, like, you know, you said that, you, that you've had hard times and stuff, like, as all couples do, because it's difficult, even, and as I feel like, you know, when you throw kids into the mix, it's even more strain, really, because you've got other human beings and then it puts up strain. So, has, do you prey on things together? Like, does that kind of help you through these times? It's such a good question. Such a good and good question. And I hope your listeners really really take on board what I'm about to say when when we were when when the d word came up in our relationship this was five years into marriage we decided to go back to the bunch we decided to go back to the five beloved ones for guidance and when we went there the first question they asked was when was the last time you meditated together when was the last time we prayed together? When was the last time we did some sort of selfless seva together? And we couldn't answer the question. We were so busy in our everyday worldly life that we had disconnected from our spiritual life, which is what I've just told you was the whole thing that connected yeah. us and weaved us together. So they said to us, you need to come back in six months, but in that time you need to do this, 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 and let's see where you are. And when we went back six months, when we went back six months later, we were in a whole different place and pregnant, which clearly, you know, showed that we were, you know, on the mend. And we re- and so we've really learned from that experience that we must always, always spiritually be doing something connective together. So even if that's like, like, for example, we have a WhatsApp group and we do like Sagebard, which is when we read Gurgan Sajji slowly, bit by bit over time. So I will read a, you know, a few ums, which is a few pages of Gurgan Sajji, and then I'll put the number in there that he knows he needs to take over. Even if it's something like that in our busy lives, if we can't find the time to sit down to do it together, you know, then we know that we're still doing something collectively together. Um, so we're always, oh, that, that is 
very, very big priority for us as, as a couple mm. and also alone time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely 100% alone time. You need, you do need that. Um, just wanted to quickly talk about your, your kids. Like, So you have four children and you are raising them as six and they wear the stars, don't they? Yes. Okay, so was that something that was their choice or your choice? That was my choice. So the 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 thing about it was um, I always wanted to children, children from a young age. I don't remember saying this, but my dad always used to say, when you were little, he used to say, I want to have two boys, two girls. I want to have two boys, two girls, which was just like crazy because clearly I was manifesting it from a young age. But um, when I was younger, I used to imagine doing my hair's kids hair because I used to do all these funky hairstyles myself I used to always imagine doing my kid girls hair a certain way and my boys I always knew that my boys would have like a this like a like a but I didn't know about them wearing a distard because my dad wore, wears a distard and it's always been quite important to my dad and um, wearing a distard so for me I always knew the boys would do that but the girls they could do whatever they want and I'm, I couldn't wait to kind of dress them up and do all of that when I came into and that was a choice I was going to make for them so when I come into Sikhi, I thought, hang on, the same applies now. Like, if I'm doing my hair in a certain way, then I'm going to do my kids' hair in that certain way, and I'm not going to give them a choice in that. But if I'm wearing a distard, and I'm going to put a distard on, then I'm going to put a distard on them, because they're going to be, a vis- they're going to be you know, reflective of me, and I'm going to be a reflection of them, and we're going to collectively be a reflection of God. And so... I get a lot of people, well, not anymore, but in the beginning, a lot of people used to say, you know, it's so unfair what you're doing to your kids. You're giving them absolutely no choice. People used to rudely say that to me, to my face. And at the time, I'd never used to know how to kind of respond. But now I know, well, actually, you've done the same thing. You've not given your child the option if they want to wear, like, you know, so like my my Jewish friend has not given their child the option if they're going to wear a skull cap or, you know, if they're going to have cut hair or, you know, all these different kinds of things. So it's, it's the principle for me is the same. I grew up not wearing a distard and I made a decision to wear a distard, just like my children will wear a distard until they make a decision that they do not want to wear a distard. Um, and it's up to me you know, to expose them to whatever I would like them to do. But ultimately, as a parent, I just want my children to be happy and I want them to be grounded and independent people. Um, If that doesn't include a distard for them, then I have to accept that because they're not living my life. They don't have the same connection I have with God. They have to build their own. Mm. And I'm seeing that happen with my 13-year-old now. You know, she's like, yesterday she was really moaning because we went and did a bonfire and she was missing her Gitan class. And she was like, this is my sickie, you're ruining, you know. She was saying to me and her dad last night. And and I said to my husband, like, we need to start thinking that she's building her own relationship with God now. And we need to let her go with that because if she wasn't then we'd be saying oh she's not doing anything and da, 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 da. Mm. so we so it, it's all like um, a learning curve really but ultimately when it comes to wearing the, the start and calling ourselves a sick for us as a family the identity is a massive part of that internal identity i.e how we treat people but the external identity as well comes with that and that's what we try to tell the children um, and they actually love wearing it you know, they love wearing it. My eight-year-old is in that phase now, and we've been through that with my eldest as well, where she's a bit more like, oh, you know, I don't want to be left out and things like that. And it's up to us to basically put her in environments where she feels empowered. Um, but the boys love wearing it. And then Simra, she just ties it herself and loves wearing it. It's part of who she is. But, you know, that can change tomorrow. 
And would you be devastated if it did change, if they were like, oh, well, no, thanks, mum, I don't want to wear this anymore? You know, if you'd asked me this five years ago, I'd probably think devastation would be the right word, but now I don't think so, because I just, I just, you know, after getting Goodleen's um, ADHD a diagnosis, I just thought, think to myself, I just want my children to be happy, and their happiness may not look like what my happiness looks like. So I just, you know, I just want, I just want my, I want to love my children unconditionally. Um, and to do that is to accept any of their choices. And so that's been a massive learning curve for me as a parent. And I don't think I'd be devastated. I might be a little bit upset about it, but I think I'd be over it quite quickly because like I said, I just want them to be happy, independent mentally. I want them to be stable emotionally, be able to support themselves. Um, and as a parent, I think, you know, as long as I've given them the foundations of Sikhi internally, because that's another thing that people need to know. It's very easy to put a distard on. Yes, my mum screamed at me. Yes, she hid my distard. Yes, I had went through a very, very hard time um, trying to look at this way. But actually, that was easy compared to the work I'm still doing now to be a good person, to be compassionate, to be caring, to not judge people. That is a lifetime of work. Mm. And that takes a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, would you say that personality-wise, although you've changed your lifestyle and obviously your thoughts spiritually, do you think personality-wise you're still the same? Because I have to say, like, you know, when we said hello before we jumped on live you were like oh your your voice is very sexy and I, and and you know I, I, I've got a sore throat by the way so that's why maybe but you know I was a bit like oh okay and so you know I feel like you are a bubbly person and I obviously I didn't know you before but do you think personality wise you're still the same as you were before I think so and I think you know the pendulum as I was talking about I think the pendulum has really allowed me to find that balance as well because before I think maybe I was a bit too much on the other side which didn't really connect spiritually um with certain things and um so now I feel like I but it's funny because um my husband said something to me yesterday I can't remember what it was and I said the old me's still in there somewhere and he said yes I know um and so it was quite funny when he said when I said that and um and he was very aware of it so I think I am still in there the old me a little bit but I think I'm just a bit more grounded and a bit more rounded now as well yeah um and the other thing is you know when it comes to sex I'm very very open about talking about sex with our children because of the damage it does when you don't talk to your children about it which is why you know we do have a class on it and things like that we talk about in the seat parenting community how to talk to your children about sex where you're not making it crude you're not making it lustful you're making it very much in line with Sikhi and what Guru Guruji says about it but also, I'm a doula, you know. I'm not going to allow this cultural shame around the vagina and the penis and sex basically cloud my judgment and, and our community and my children. And even today, like I was in the shower this morning and my daughter came in to brush her teeth, thank you very much, um, just interrupting me. And she, she just said to me, Mummy, um, will I look like you when I'm older? So she was talking about her external body. And I said, yes. And then she said... Do babies only come from down there? This is what she said to me this morning, I swear to God, because she knew I needed content for this. Um, and, and then I said, no, I said, some babies, they can be, you know, they can cut the mummy open. And then I showed her my scar where my eldest came out. And she goes, where did I come from? And I said, you came from my vagina. And she goes, um, I think I'm going to come, I think I'm going to have a baby from the vagina. And I said, I think that's a good idea. I'm sure mummy can help you. 
that kind of conversation is a very normal in my household. I love and that I conversation. It it's very even healthy. My, yeah, and even with my son, he's seen his he's seen his birth video. He's seen me giving birth to him. He's seen me breastfeeding him in videos, and we and I talk to him about my birth story a lot because. In our culture, we think that the vagina and the penis are just relating to sex, and sex is bad, and sex should just be used for um, create, you know, procreation and things like that. But ultimately, it's so much more than that, and it doesn't need to be crude. And we make it crude when we think like that, um, you know. So that when we have a baby and we, when we, re when we are breathing a baby out, and when we are supporting that baby to come in Earthside. What we're actually doing is we're actually having the ultimate orgasm in that time. Mm. And people have disconnected those two. They don't realize that what I did to create this baby, I'm going through it now when I'm actually bringing that to fruition right now. Those two are just so adjoined together. And for me, that's the most spiritual thing. So when it comes to being prudish or crude or whatever it kind of thing, I think there's a lot of judgments around it as well. So not all Amrathadis are kind of the way some people might think they are it's maybe some judgments or mm. or maybe some bad exposure to people who are a bit more kind of in their box which yeah. is okay too if that's okay for them but uh, for me I just want to be quite all-rounded for my children and expose them to, to nature and I, for me this is nature this mm. discussion these kinds of yeah. discussions anyway I, I mean so you know obviously we're talking about sexuality there but like in terms of sensuality and as a woman like woman to woman I'm just going to ask you like obviously we you know it's important for us to feel sexy and sensual and that kind of thing and I have to say that some of my friends have said to me you know that they would think twice about being Amritari because they're like oh my body hair I don't I'm mm -hmm. going to have to stop removing my body hair so like how did you feel about things like that was it an easy thing or were you like did you struggle with it? You know, um, Sings, who want to marry someone who's Amradadi, they don't see it. Right. They just don't see it. And I've spoken to hundreds of Amradadi women, and they all say, their Sings, their Sings just don't see it because the connection is with the soul. It's not with the external body. And the power in that, it when, and you see it even in Amradadis where they don't have that connection, where there's not a connection of the soul. When we're old and grey, or when our boobs are down here from breastfeeding all of our children, or when you know we're all saggy and all of that kind of stuff, and your partner doesn't find you attractive anymore, what does that say about the relationship that you've had together? That it was all an external connection. But if we are connecting as human beings, regardless of Amritadi or not, if we're connecting and marrying and looking for somebody who we can connect with on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a mental level, what we're doing is we are meeting the ideal person who's going to be there regardless. Mm. And, and you see it with a lot of celebrities. I mean, I've worked in the film industry for you know eight years and I used to see them come and go with different kinds of famous people come with different people all the time. And you know that it's just a relationship that's based on lust. It's just based on the external self. And there's nothing really deep down below that is really, really connecting the soul and the spiritual selves together. So that's what we should be looking for in a partner. And that's what we should be talking to our children about as well, you know. But when we put so much emphasis on the external, so my daughter, she's 13, I can see that she's finding herself at the moment. You know, yeah. she, she only likes to wear certain colour the stars, which relate to Sikhi, 
um, like she would never wear this colour, the starred, like she will say to me, mommy, that's not really silky colour, you know, she'll say things like that, but that's her own thing that she's going through at the moment, um, but she does like to dress a certain way and look a certain way, and, and I'm see, and I said to my husband, I said, she's becoming quite vain, isn't she, and he says to me, you know, she's just finding, you know, what her look is, she's trying to find who has, you know, find herself, and we just need to support her and things like that, so, you know, sometimes I see on her searches, she write, she's written in her um, Google searches on her phone, um, cool, chic, modest clothing. I literally so, love this girl, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so she looks up clothes and, and com combinations and things like that. So, you know, that, that for, for me to feel, you know, a good... And, and the, the other thing is, I went through a phase where I didn't feel all of... All the things that you were saying like you know I didn't feel sensual I didn't feel good about myself and mm. you know I did feel very paranoid and things like that and it wasn't really relating to hair or anything but it was I realized it was because I wasn't looking after myself right yeah but yeah so um and then all of a sudden my husband used to say to me you know you we, you will want to be together with me if you are looking after yourself but you're not feeling that because those flows of uh, that, that that flow of oxytocin and stuff is not yeah. basically moving around the body um, and so that's why you know looking after ourselves is really important because it's just so good for our mental emotional you know, intimacy all of that it, it, it's all a combination so that's why you know working out and gym and looking after my body is so important to me I honestly like it I I literally go around talking about this kind of thing because for me it's like people are, oh do you work out every day I'm, I'm not doing it to be like oh my weight my weight I'm not I, I it helps me to feel good about myself I've I've been the heaviest I've ever been and I've been working out and I've been enjoying myself and feeling nice in my clothes because you know I'm look you know you know oh I'm doing something positive for myself and those mm -hmm. hormones are coursing through your body from you know, the working out and looking after yourself. So 100%, I definitely agree. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go now because I know you're busy as well. But I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. And I have loved talking to you as I did last time. Honestly, it's such a, um, it's just so nice to catch up with you. And thanks for being so honest and open about all your experiences and the way that, you know, you, you live your life and you raise your kids and, you know, go through your marriage and things like that. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, um, it's not very often that, you know, Amritharis are, you know, able to come and, and speak and, and be open about it. But, you know, to everybody who's listening, you know, thank you for listening and, and keep supporting Rena and her work because I think it's just so important to have different types of dialogue because you never know who's going to need it. Um, and, you know, I just want to say, you know, um, I'm being Amritari, like, you know, it's, it is not for everybody, but it doesn't mean that you're a bad sick if you're not. You know, you can still bring so much um, positivity to the world um, and to the sick community. Just being who you are, just looking after yourself and, and your children. Um, that's the main thing, really. And, and, you know, exposing yourself to positivity and, and connection with your spiritual self. So thank you for having me. No, it's been lovely. And so uh, just for people who want a bit more info on uh, you, what you do, and also your website as well. So it's Sikh Mom, isn't it, on social media? Mm -hmm. And then, yes. what, and then your um, if you share your website, yes. So it's www.seekmum.com, 
and um, there's lots of resources on there if you wanted to do activities at home with your children or presentations if you wanted to go into the school and talk about Sikhi. Um, we also have um, SikhParenting.com if you wanted to join a community um, of you know just parents coming together who identify as six and just share ideas and you know how we can be better conscious parents, sick parents. Um, you know, just, just check us out there. But, you know, we we'll also have Sikh Mum Doula on Instagram if you wanted some support around um, antenatal, postnatal and birth. So have that too. So Lovely. lots of places. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Bye.